Hello, welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hole. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Um, didn't necessarily enjoy what was billed as our Super Sunday yes. Fun Day today. Our uh, our team sort of letting us down, but. On reflection, two away points not to be sniffed at. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to picking the bones out of those and trying to put a positive spin on those with some highlights. But before we do that, let's talk about West Brom 2, Manchester City 3 and City again have showed they have got some class and they've done it in a slightly difficult style this week with a typical Tony Pulis performance. Yeah, I think that the the last goal of this game sort of put a different dynamic on the... um, on the actual result, because if that goal doesn't go in, it's a comfortable three-one win for City. And I think that as a as somebody who maybe hasn't watched the game, you might think that it was closer than it was. But you you look at the amount of chances that City created; they were all over West Brom like a rash from from, from the first minute. They were so up for the game, and the, the the sheer amount of attacking talent that they've got is scary. And we saw again Guardiola decided to change it up and. He had Aguero and Sterling on the bench for this one and started with Jesus, Sane. Um, and yeah, they just look imperious going forward. The likes of Silva and um, and Kevin De Bruyne just, just support the front three so well. And you, you just wonder what sort of team it's going to take to stop them. We seem to be saying it every week, but they, they, they're just so good. Absolutely. And, you know, it was another goal for Sterling. He came off the bench and grabbed the third goal. But you know, it's, it's the, the manner of the goal as well. It's another goal that just kind of rolled along the six-yard box and... We've seen that so often. They can almost walk the ball in. There's a queue of players every single time just waiting to tap the ball in. And, you know, they've, they've got that obvious quality where they can stretch teams. There always seems to be a man over. And, you know, the fullbacks get forward very well. And Carl Walker got the assist for that goal. But to be fair to West Brom, you know, they went with a, a quite a, a ballsy approach, having two strikers in there. And, you know, I'm more than happy to see that. They played some direct football and they did make it difficult at times. But like we say, City could have had an absolute hatful. And the quality that they've got going through that team is, is something that we just stress every single week how good they are and it's only going to get better. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it was it was almost a complete contrast to the way that Tony Pulis set up against Southampton last week. Um, he literally went there for a point and at least he, I don't know, had a, had a bit of a go this week and played those two and Rodriguez looked good. He looked like he was able to, uh, to find a bit of space inside that Manchester City um, back four and the goal that he scored was obviously a good one and, and hopefully he can build on that. But City just look imperious. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on from them and talk about the bottom half of the table, in particular some of the teams struggling. So Crystal Palace to West Ham to, and that was very much a game of two halves with West Ham going into a 2-0 lead. And, you know, they started very strong with Hernandez scoring early and Andre Ayew scored an absolute corker scoring two midweek as well. Yeah, he's on fire, isn't he? He's yeah. playing really well, and you you just look at the, uh, I suppose the difference in in tactic that Bilic went with in this one to play two strikers from the start, and Ayu and Hernandez seem to work well together. Yeah, absolutely. But the second half, completely different story. You know, they concede a penalty pretty needlessly as well from Bonner and then eventually, you know, Palace are knocking on the door the whole time. Joe Hart's kept them in the game with some great saves. And then the 97th minute, there's a mistake. And then, you know, there's that little bit of quality from Crystal Palace who haven't given up. And, they're you know, too all. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw in Joe Hart and Slavin Bilic's reactions after the game. They looked absolutely heartbroken. And, and they may well be because a team like that should should close a game out. They They just... Threw it away at the end, really. The, the the decision that Mikhail Antonio made to put the ball in to the to the Palace six yard box when he could have drawn a foul, got a corner, was unbelievable, really. And 
again, the way that the two centre-halves from West Ham dealt with, with uh, Zaha when he came inside was just poor. Yeah. Show him outside. If you give away a corner, you give away a corner. You get 11 men back behind the ball and you try and defend it as a unit. But instead, they, they left themselves open to that. And Bilic will be absolutely fuming and he's tearing out what's left of that, that, that hair. Yeah, I think a point very much papers over the cracks again. And, you know, I think Bilic is still under pressure despite having those two games to win. He's got four points from them. Well, a point and a, a, a next round in the cup. And for me, I think he's gone at the international break. Yeah, I, I think that... that they they just do look like a team devoid of any confidence and in I don't know I suppose when when they had Pay up there you always felt that they had a player who could drag them through games and and they just seem to be missing that now Mark Noble seems to have regressed and I've, I don't know what to say about Arnautovic he just seems to have gone off the ball completely since he's gone there and they just don't seem to have anyone who can light that creative touch paper and and sort of drag them through a game and. It's the same at the back. They just they they, they lack organisation. Joe Hart looks shaky at the best of times. Probably had his best game in this yeah, one, and still conceded two goals. And yeah. you just wonder where they go from here. You do. And uh, moving on from them, we took Liverpool three, Huddersfield nil, and it took Liverpool some time to get going. And you know there was a penalty that was, so I thought it was quite an interesting one. We don't see it very often. And you know there was a a tussle in the area, I guess, from a from a set piece and. It's something that they possibly talk about at the start of a the season. They're going to really clamp down on it and that you see the first few games and the decisions are made and you never really see it after that. So it was it was great to see that given and, and whether that's going to be something that we see a little bit more consistently, I'm not sure. But having said that, Salah's penalty was very, very poor. It was a very simple save for the goalkeeper. Yeah, it was. And somebody who took such a great penalty in the uh, in the recent World Cup qualifiers for Egypt and under so much pressure, you... You almost expected him just to roll this one in, and yeah. the rebound attempt from Jordan Henderson was uh, an absolute shower as well, wasn't it? To, yeah, it was. to put that wide from where he was was really disappointing, and Jurgen Klopp will be pleased with the three goals in the second half, but I think the most important thing from their point of view is the clean sheet. Yeah. Um, a team who struggled defensively so much, and we've talked about them a lot on this show, and, and, and sort of how they lack leaders at the back, but they'll take a lot of confidence from it, and they'll they'll, they'll obviously look to build on the result. I think that missing the likes of Mane and Coutinho could have really played into Huddersfield's hands and, and, and they did trouble them a couple of times but then Liverpool just ultimately were too strong and it's a game that you would expect them to win and, and, and obviously they've gone on and done that and for a week at least it takes a bit of the pressure off Klopp. Yeah, I think it's good to see Sturridge score as well and they'll take a lot of positives from that because as you say with Mane and Coutinho there, they do often look a different team and they just need that extra dimension of you know the, the alternative that they don't often give you, and as you say, the clean sheet's massive for them. Um, and and just to kind of close on that, Wijnaldum's finish um, at the end of the game was a sensational strike. You know, he found space and then just a belting finish into the roof of the net. I love that. Yeah, he only seems to score at home, doesn't he, Wijnaldum? Yeah. But then he doesn't tend to score that many bad goals. He scored a few yeah. screamers in his time at Newcastle, and he sort of carried that on at Liverpool. And he's a player that. We criticised at times because defensively maybe doesn't give give you enough alongside Jordan Henderson, but you can't really knock his attacking talent. He's got an eye for goal, and it's it's a bit of a strange one because he's one of these midfielders that you wouldn't necessarily say is an attacking midfielder or a defensive midfielder. He's he's a central midfielder yeah. who's being asked to do a different role, and that's been difficult for him at times. But um, he'll be buoyed by that performance and obviously by that goal. Absolutely, and it was a game that Liverpool would expect to win, as was Arsenal Swansea. Arsenal would have expected to win this, but. They didn't make it easy for themselves, and Swansea took the lead. Um, you know, they made it very, very uncomfortable for Arsenal, but equally they made it very difficult for themselves as well. And you know, Arsenal made a rod for their own back on a number of occasions, and 
you know, Kluka scored the goal, and then just after that as well, Mertesacker's bumbling around in his own area, and you just think, <laughs> you just think, you know, just do the simple things, and it took them time to really get there. But fantastic game for Kalasanac, who got the, you know, got the first goal, and he's looked great since coming in. I'm glad you've you've mentioned him because I really <laughs> struggle with the pronunciation of that one. Yeah, he has he has done really well since he's coming. Did he come from Schalke? Or yeah, he came from Schalke. Yeah, he's he's just looked um, he's looked to solve that sort of area that that, that Arsenal have. Have really had it at wing back. Neither Monreal or Gibbs looked too comfortable there, did no. they? And obviously Monreal tends to look more comfortable in this three centre half formation that that Wenger's sort of stuck with since the FA Cup final last season. And uh, goals have come from all over the pitch for Arsenal this season. Yes. And this was another example of that. Obviously Monreal's got a couple himself, and Kalasanac will be absolutely over the moon to get one in this game. And and I th- I think that you're right. I think it does paper over the cracks a little bit because. Um, it, it's, it's one of these games that you would expect Arsenal to win, but it's not the performance that you would expect to go with it. You look at the way that they played against Everton last week, you would expect them to build on that. And uh, and they just they just didn't seem as confident as they did away at Everton. Whereas Swansea obviously got themselves ahead and then from there probably made a few poor decisions. There was a chance that, that uh, Jordan Ayew had when he, yeah. he could have squared it to Tammy Abraham. That would have made it a, a much easier opportunity to score. Instead, he... He he shot straight at Czech and um, that's an opportunity that they'll look back on and and be really disappointed with. Obviously, I don't think that we can go any further without mentioning the fact that this was was Arsene Wenger's 800th Premier League game as a manager and uh, I just think that's an incredible record. Yeah, it's fantastic to see and, you know, whatever you say about Arsene Wenger, he's been a fantastic servant of the game and also the English game as well. He changed quite a lot of things for Arsenal that have implemented themselves into many other clubs in this country and... You know, he's been a fantastic servant to, as I say, as well as the game, Arsenal. You know, he, all the criticism he does get, look where they are, you know, and that's very much built on him. And, you know, come the end of the season, perhaps he makes the decision to step down. If he does, then we should look back fondly on it as, uh, you know, 20-odd years of a great manager with a great club. Yeah, I agree. I think that he's brought so much to the Premier League. I think that we need to touch on Swansea and Paul Clement a little bit before we move on. And it's somebody that we've talked about, and I'm particularly surprised that they've not been linked with anybody else. That they've they've always been quite quiet about the possibility of him going out the door. And actually, I don't think he's brought a huge amount to that team since he's taken over. And if it wasn't for that win against Huddersfield a couple of weeks ago, then Swansea would have been down near the lights of Crystal Palace. Um, and I just wonder whether their ambition isn't what it needs to be. A couple of seasons ago, they were they were flying. They're in the top ten. They won the League Cup and. You just associated a brand of football with them that you just don't seem to anymore. And obviously Sigurdsson losing him and losing the likes of Ashley Williams, who we've already sort of mentioned in in, in previous podcasts, is a real struggle. Um, but ultimately, Clement's had long enough there now to be to be doing better things. And I know that you can't criticise them for, for losing games at Arsenal because it's not a game that you'd expect them to win. But at this point of the season, you would hope from a Swansea fan's point of view that they would not only have more points, but that the performances would have been better. I think from from my perspective, Paul Clement, you know, rightly should be criticised. He's not really done a huge amount, but that said, I, I've said it before, you know, the personnel in that squad, just I don't think he's good enough at this level. Um, whether that's something for him to address in the windows, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know how much, uh, you know, they've got to spend. And equally, attracting players to that club at the moment, more so than ever, is going to be a really, really difficult thing. But let's move on to the final game of this part with Manchester United winning 1-0 at home to Spurs. And it was a typical Manchester United performance. You know, they really, really 
made the game quite dull. It was very Mourinho-like, um, but they dug in and they got the 1-0 win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on reflection, it's probably a fair result. I mean, um, Tottenham defended incredibly well in this game. Lloris made some really good saves and I thought Eric Dyer had a fantastic match. I think that he looked so comfortable as part of a, as part of a back three and you sort of looked at the lineup before the game and saw that Davinson Sanchez was missing and he's he's been really impressive since he's come in and you wondered whether the likes of Dyer, Vertonghen and Aldevera would have the pace to deal with the likes of Rashford up front and and they they looked really solid and obviously Mourinho's made the change that's that's got them the win and he's going to take a lot of credit for this but I think that Pochettino won't be too disappointed. Ultimately, you're without your best player in Harry Kane and they had a couple of chances and if that one from Deli Alley goes in in the second half, then Tottenham could have gone on to win it. And it's one of those games where I think you've just got to sort of, I don't know, just, just, just move on quickly and, and they'll be concentrating now on, on, on a huge game midweek against Real Madrid and fingers crossed for them, they'll be able to get something out of that one. Yeah, I mean, Manchester United would be very happy again with the the kind of squad depth and the impact that players can make off the bench. You know, Martial came off the bench to score his fourth goal as a sub this season. And, you know, that that's fantastic to see. And, you know, they will be massively buoyed by the fact that they've got those options. And, you know, they can change the game up. And I think we didn't necessarily see it against Liverpool when they played them away and it was nil-nil. I think they were happy with the draw. Uh, whereas I think they realised they could actually go and win this game. And, Fair play to them, they did that. And, you know, it's a great result for them and it was very much job done. Whereas for Spurs, it's a difficult one after a, a, a bad loss at home to West Ham in the League Cup, which realistically was a, a really good chance of winning the trophy for them. Yeah, I heard something when watching this game that they've only won um, one trophy in the last 26 years and that was the League Cup. And yeah. you, you wonder with a, ter- with, a, sorry, with a team like Spurs whether they should play a bit of a stronger lineup in those games. I know it's difficult because they've got the Champions League They've got the league um, and ultimately that's where they'll want to concentrate. But you just think the confidence that that could breed in, in, in a young team to pick up a trophy at this stage in their careers. And Pochettino's never really been one to, uh, to, to put his eggs in the, uh, in the cup baskets. And he's always made changes and, and made strange decisions in those games. And I, I don't know, I, I, I just think that if Spurs don't win something this season... You look at the likes of Ali Kane and Eriksson and wonder whether they'll be around next summer. Absolutely. Well, that's all for part one. Join us after the break where we will talk about the championship and also a great win for De Lads. Indeed. Join us then. You try to kick it in the goal and you hit me? Yeah. some fucking brains, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry, uh, just the last word then on, on Wolves. It, it's a... It's a big game, a game at Molyneux, big crowd, uh, it's a big match for you. Yeah, it's a big match, no one is in the fucking reserve. Hello and welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast, and it's time to talk about the Championship. Now, Mitch, I can see from the look on your face that you're not overly pleased about the, uh, the result earlier, but talk me through the performance and uh, what you sort of took from that game. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, I would have took a point before the start of the game, it's uh, always a difficult one with the derby, isn't it? And... You know, St Andrews is a really, really tough place to go. But performance-wise, we struggled a little bit in the first half. I think we started brighter and then really, really petered out. And then second half was just really bitty and scrappy. And we, we made a couple of changes that made the difference probably the last 15, 20 minutes. And uh, I, I thought we had a chance. I thought we were going to nick it. And I think we were getting a little bit excited, weren't we? I don't think I've ever seen you move so fast. When Paul <laughs> hit the bar in the second half from... Uh, who was it? Was it... It was um, Keane and Davis, yeah. And I, honestly, I, I thought Mitch was going to be out of the house. I thought the goal was in and, 
and that was going to be it. But no, no, you were unlucky, and uh, I, I think on reflection, you probably created the better chances. Yeah, probably. I think you know Birmingham possibly had more of the ball and looked a little bit more solid, which you'd maybe expect from the home team and a team that you know no massive disrespect to them, but don't have too much quality in terms of the you know on the ball and and the way they go forward. But I think for us, you know, Kodja was at his frustrating best. He was um, very very greedy at times and. You know, it looked like there was an easy ball on and he'd take another touch. And to be fair, there was one point where he did that and um, kind of come back on um, on himself and then hit the bar. And yeah, it was, it was a very frustrating one. But, you know, we, we move on and, um, you know, we look at some of the individual performances like Glenn Whelan, for instance, with a man of the match performance. And he was uh, battered and bruised. And we said, you know, he'd be looking for his limbs at the end of the game on the pitch. So... Um, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll take it and uh, and we'll move on. Let's move on. Give us the rest of the championship roundup from yesterday. Yeah, so actually we'll start on Friday. So there was a Yorkshire derby at Ellen Road between Leeds and Sheffield United that finished 2-1 to Sheffield United, who now sit pretty at the top of the table. And that was mainly because Wolves lost uh, 2-1 away at QPI yesterday. And, you know, they'll be bitterly disappointed with that. They've been on a really good run. But obviously Sheffield United have been incredible for, for the whole season so far and and, you know, rightly deserves to be stuck at the top of the table. So, uh, yeah, and then there were also uh, a big win for Derby County, who have been quite quiet, and I think they're uh, they're in seventh place at the moment. They keep an unbeaten run going, and they beat an ever-unpredictable and erratic Norwich City at Carrow Road, um, as well as away wins for Middlesbrough, Ipswich, Brentford, and Bristol City are won 2-1 at the Stadium of Light, and Sunderland still find themselves in the relegation zone. And it's fairly safe to say they're very much languishing with just one win this season. They've got a massive game in midweek. I think they're um, either at home or away to Bolton. Yeah. And uh, they lose that, I think I think Grayson could be on his way. He could well be on his way. Between them, they've won two games. So, you know, it's um, someone's probably going to come away with it with three points. But knowing both of their luck, it'll be a drab nil-nil draw. Um, and they'll get one point each, which will not help at all. And I think even a point could potentially send Grayson on his way as well. Indeed. Thank you very much for that roundup. Um, we're going to talk about some German football now. Yes, and three points. A big, big three points for De Lads. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, De Lads um, got a 2-1 victory at home. They uh, they were playing Hamburg, who've really struggled so far this season. And a team that you would probably associate with the upper echelons of the, uh, yeah, the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they haven't been so good this season. And there were, there were two headed goals to win it from Hertha. The first was a towering header from a corner. Um, and, and it was his first goal for the club and, and, and a German under-21 defensive midfielder, Nicholas Stark. Um, sorry, third goal for the club yeah. in his 48th appearance. So uh, hardly prolific, but <laughs> defensive midfielder, you can sort of allow him those. Um, and uh, second goal was a well-placed header from a, a Dutch yeah. former Portsmouth and Blackburn centre-back, Karim Rekic, who scored a great header and uh, and that made it 2-0 in the second half of hers. I mean, they, they looked pretty comfortable and then... Hamburg made a change and they brought on 17-year-old Jan Fiet Arp, who uh, he's got 18 goals in 19 games for the German under-17s under and prolific at that sort of age. And yeah, 17 years old, brought him on and he, he forced a, 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 a nervy finish for yeah. the Hertha boys with a, with a 73rd minute. A decent finish, to be it's fair to him. a great finish, yeah. Really um, good. Um, yeah, the, 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 last, the last sort of 15 minutes was a little bit nervy. Both both sides had chances to, uh, to, to obviously get the win for Hertha and then Steal a draw for Hamburg, but I think a two-win home win, uh, sorry, a two-one home win was probably a, a fair result in the end, and um, that leaves Hertha with eleven, no, with thirteen points, sorry, from ten games and uh, in eleventh place, and the loss leaves Hamburg bang in trouble, third bottom with seven points from ten games, 
Now, I've got a bit of... I, I know we're going to go on to the quiz in a second, but I want to ask you a, a quick question about this one. There were two former international managers in attendance for this game um, that I saw on the highlights when I was watching this. I'll give you a little clue. Uh, they've both managed Germany. Yep. Um, and have managed seven international teams between them over a 20-year period. Any guesses? Uh, okay. I'm... Uh, the first one I'm going to go with is, is Jurgen Klinsmann because I know he's, he's scouting around at the moment and he's I've seen him in a few different places. So I'm going with Klinsmann. Klinsmann is correct, yes. Jackpot and then seven. So he's done two international yeah, this, sides. Five, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's managed five international sides and he goes back a little way, this guy. I will go for, based on the fact that I know certainly three that he's managed, 30 votes. 30 votes is correct. Lovely yeah. stuff. Let's, yeah, let's hope that you don't carry on that form into the quiz <laughs> uh, because that was pretty impressive. Thank yeah. you. So uh, a great win for the lads and, and they uh, unfortunately got beat in the week in the cup, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to nah. be positive today. Onwards um, and upwards. Absolutely. So yeah, join us after this break and we're going to continue talking about the Premier League and uh, discuss my beloved Southampton and that absolutely terrible performance. And, uh, do we have to? I, well, personally, I'd rather not, <laughs> but I think, yeah... Yeah, we probably do need to talk about it. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you then. Get in there! Well done, he's 13. Game set and match, Owen. Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast. And we are going to tell you about the game that we watched earlier today. Brighton won, Southampton won. And it was a great start for Southampton. With a goal just after five minutes and... After that, it went downhill rapidly, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I, I, I just can't get my head around it, really. Such a great start. And uh, James Ward-Prowse, obviously, with a, a pretty good effort on goal from where he you was. You were very dubious, weren't you? Coming yeah, I wasn't convinced that ball was going in. I thought it was too far out. And ultimately, I was right. Um, yeah, well done. It didn't, it didn't go in. But, but yeah, fair play to him. Decent, decent assist, if you, if you yeah. like. And uh, Stephen Davis reacted really well because he probably made it look a lot easier than, than it was that yeah. header. But... But then after that, yes, yeah, Saints just dropped off, defended incredibly deep and um, just didn't look like they wanted it. It was almost like Pellegrino had sort of communicated that he was happy with an early goal and we could sit back and soak up as much pressure as we wanted from it, Brighton. And It was very frustrating to watch, even yeah, as a neutral as well. It was. It was It was just a strange one. I think that the, that the formation was um, obviously very different to the, to the team that we've been putting out of late and he decided to go with Boo Fallon there and drop Shane Long to the bench and it, and it just showed Gabby Adini was... Incredibly isolated up front, didn't win anything in the air, and we just didn't really have anything going forward. There was there was a real lack of quality in the final third, and and, and that's probably what's cost what's cost us more than the equaliser. I think that there was there was goals there to be had if we wanted them, but we we just didn't show enough. But I also think you know you really really miss Lamina today. There was a lot of opportunities to break the play up in the middle of the park, and you you know you're quite fortunate that Brighton didn't really push on too much. You know, they were very happy to just keep the ball. And I think they almost thought you might press them a little bit more. And actually, that didn't happen. And it ended quite, you know, in quite a stalemate game, really, of just kind of going backwards and forwards and approaching the final third and not really getting anywhere. But obviously, Brighton did score. And I think it's a disappointing goal if you're the goalkeeper. Yeah, I think Fraser Forster will be, will be unhappy. I think his positioning was wrong. If he takes a step to his right, which you would have sort of expected him to do, yeah. then... Then he makes that save quite comfortably. Um, my only thinking is that he thought that Glenn Murray was going to try and head the ball back from where it came from um, because there wasn't a huge amount of pace on that ball. Um, and I just wonder whether Virgil van Dijk needs to think a little bit more about his position. And he's, he's left Cedric isolated against Brighton's best header of a football. And 
that's just not good enough. There's 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 a lot of different ways that you can analyse the way that we that we conceded and can force to go and punch that ball. Can he get off his line? Can he command his box a little bit better? I think so. Um, and I think he'll be disappointed. It's it's another game where we're talking about him and he's sort of taken over from Joe Hart, hasn't he? A yeah. little bit in Fraser Forster corner. Yeah, in terms of in terms of a goalkeeper that we're going to concentrate on. And and I I wish we weren't. I wish that we weren't talking about him because. If he makes that save, then it's 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 much more comfortable in that sense. But um, I still think that offensively, Pellegrino's got to take the the brunt of the responsibility for us not winning that game. And I think Oriol Romeo, his tweet after the game very much summed it up, and he said, "Not very excited about a point." And I can be quite honest and say I'm not very excited about ever talking about or thinking about that game ever again. No, I fully agree, Oriel. So let's move on and talk about the game we watched afterwards. And we've just finished watching Leicester beat Everton 2-0. And both teams had a new manager in the dugout. And Claude Puel's back in English football probably sooner than we expected. Yeah, Claude. Um, treated very poorly in my mind uh, at Southampton. And I was always one of these who was sort of sat on the fence a bit with him. He got us to our first major cup final in... Um, 13 years and he was able to show a real sort of I don't know like he he was able to show something that we haven't had for so long in 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 his approach to cup matches we've had managers in the past who just haven't wanted to to really show that much interest and he didn't do that he always played really strong sides in the cup and he, he sort of showed this in in his first game in charge today he tried to play his strongest side possible in this game and, and he just went for attacking players. And I yeah. think he probably recognises that the time at Southampton, the reason that he lost his job there wasn't because of where we finished in the league. It was because of the type of football that we played. And I get the impression that he's probably learnt a bit from that. I think that Leicester suit him because they are a more attacking side than Southampton naturally. Um, and he just sort of allowed them to go out and play today, didn't he? He, yeah. he? he didn't put a huge amount of pressure on. He picked the players who he thought would hurt Everton and... The ageing back four that they've got, with um, sort of exception to to the young right back Kenny who played today, I think you look at the pace that Jagielka, Williams, and and Baines possess between them, and he allowed Mares, Gray, and Vardy to get in behind really well. Well, that's it. Puel's obviously just gone in, utilised Leicester's strengths with pace and, and speed, and, and you know strength and aggression, and just got them flying into Everton from the word go. And that goal from Vardy was a typical Leicester counter attack goal, and. You know, that was everything that those Everton defenders just wouldn't want to come up against today. But it was a fantastic goal from back to front. And, you know, it was reminiscent of what we saw in Leicester's title winning season. And, you know, realistically, the personnel is fairly similar. And certainly the way they play or the way they should play is is similar to that of two seasons ago. So, Paul just picks it up from, from Shakespeare. He picked it up from Ranieri and doesn't really have to do a huge amount different. However... Uh, they were up against a very poor side, and David Unsworth did look to uh, change the side, and he put Sigurdsson and Schneidlin on the bench, and uh, David Klassen wasn't even in the squad today, but then it's the same old problems. You know, we said, um, you know, you, you in particular asked me where Rooney was playing, and actually, we we did see him on the halfway line, where he was actually playing as a number 10, and he just wasn't there, and it's the same old story, and I'm not sure whether it's David Unsworth who can sort that out, whether it's somebody else, but... There's definitely problems within that squad and whether it's the back four or whether it's the middle of the park or whether it's up front, there's issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, defensively they, they struggled again. I think that there was there was a very um, limited lack of composure shown from the Everton defence today. Ashley Williams was running around like a headless chicken and there was one point where you and I were absolutely convinced he was going to get himself <laughs> yeah. sent off. 
Um, that that discipline is something that that you should be able to rely on from from players like him, Jagielka, Baines, um, and it's hard to put your finger on it with Everton because you look at their squad and and, and it is of probably a top top eight at least in the yeah, Premier League in absolutely. terms of the quality that they've got. I think that they're just confused in terms of the team that they're picking. I think that they need to go to their strongest lineup and they need to play to their strengths and. Ultimately, if that means not shoehorning Wayne Rooney into that team, then so be it. I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin offers enough as a central striker. Um, I think Rooney would probably do more for you up top. And then that allows you to start with potentially Sigurdsson and Klassen. Um, I think Idrissa Gage shows a real lack of discipline in there. And Morgan Schneider on the the bench for me is just a complete head-scratcher. I know that Tom Davis had a good season last year, but... You saw the uh, the way that Damari Gray just gave him the runaround today, and uh, maybe it's confidence, maybe it's maybe it's a, a lack of experience. Like I say, it's it's a really hard one, and I think Everton really need to make the right decision with 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 who they bring in to replace Koeman. And if that's to be Unsworth, they're going to have to give him time. Yeah. Um. And I don't necessarily think that he's got that. They're struggling. Um. And people will say they are too big to go down. Well, look at Aston Villa. Look at Leeds. Look at the teams that have gone down in the past. They weren't too big to go down and um, Everton need to start putting some performances in. They've got a massive game at home against Watford next week. They don't get three points from that. They go into a two-week international break devoid of any real confidence or real leadership. Indeed, another team that struggled this weekend and didn't get any points was Bournemouth and they, they lost 1-0 to Chelsea and it was very much a game dominated by Chelsea as well. You know, there were, there were very few real clear-cut chances for either side but equally Bournemouth really offered nothing. No, and they haven't done for a while now, have they? They're uh, they're a team that are really on the slide, and it's probably not a game that you would expect them to get anything from. A, a little bit similar to the to the way that we talked about the uh, the Swansea Arsenal game. Chelsea in this game, if we if we just sort of concentrate on them first, they had an absolute hatful of chances and and it fully deserved the win. I think that it should have been more comfortable, and Bournemouth could have could have stolen something. I don't think they really created a huge amount. Um, and on reflection, obviously, Conte will be the happier of the two managers. But there's something about the way that Chelsea have performed in recent weeks that just isn't as fluent as it was previously. And I, I just wonder if there's something going on behind the scenes there that, that that's not quite right. The uh, the reaction of Conte in his, in his post-match uh, press conference didn't really fill you with a lot of confidence as a Chelsea fan. And, and I I think that they're still struggling a little bit behind the scenes. I I wonder whether there's something wrong there. No, I agree, but there are still some very, very talented individuals there, and it was great to see Eden Hazard get the goal. He's obviously had a difficult start to the season with injuries, but you know he's a real difference maker for them, and you know he can grab a game by the scruff of the neck, and you know he can he can go and win the games. But I think, as you say, there are there are potential issues with Chelsea, and I think one of the issues that they have is that you know they may not finish in the top four this season. I'm really intrigued to see what happens with the likes of Eden Hazard, who's. You know, he stuck by them essentially when they weren't in the Champions League and he's potentially going to get that opportunity to go and play for, I wouldn't say a bigger club, but somewhere different. You know, the, He's linked with Real Madrid, for instance, a lot. If he's not in the Champions League, there's a very good possibility that he would leave. This yeah, game. no, I agree. And and he, he linked with Morata really, uh, really well in this game and, and they, they, they looked like they, they had a good sort of understanding going on between them. Obviously, Morata put a good ball through for the goal, I think. Begovic will be disappointed. Yep. He's beaten at his near post. The ball sort of goes straight through him. And he would have been a player at the start of the season that Bournemouth would have hung a lot of hopes on to really solidify that back five. Because Boric, although he's a good 
shot stopper has never really been a commanding goalkeeper and, and you sort of you associate Begovic as somebody who's a, a safe pair of hands, yeah. don't you? A, an, an experienced Premier League goalkeeper. Bor- and Boric isn't that, is he? He's no, an no, absolute no, no, he's not. And Eddie Howe's, he's struggling. And, yeah. and a bit like David Unsworth uh, um, at Everton, I'm not sure he knows what his best team are. I think that that showed by starting with, uh, with Defoe and hauling him off after 45 yeah. minutes. The one bright spot for Bournemouth is the fact that Callum Wilson's come back in this game and somebody who's been dogged by injury over the past couple of seasons. So those fans will be sort of hoping that he can come in and fire them up the table because as it stands, Bournemouth are really struggling. They're in the bottom three and you sort of wonder where the next win's going to come from. Absolutely. And just before we move on to the next game, Chelsea versus Manchester United this weekend, which should be, in theory, an absolute cracker, but someone like Jose Mourinho could ruin that for us. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to yeah. see him part ruin of Ruin our fun, yeah. That's it. But... Um, I, I don't know. I, I think those games are ones that you always look forward to. I know Arsenal, Manchester City's on the same day, so you would hope out of the two games that there'd be some some sort of attacking talent on show, wouldn't you? Yeah, let's hope so. And uh, attacking talent on show for Watford yesterday, but with no just rewards, and they lost one 0 at home to Stoke. And it's a great result from Stoke. And you know Watford will be very disappointed. They've had probably had more of the chances. Nothing too clear cut. I'm disappointed to lose the game at home, but. Fantastic result for Stoke. You know they've had a disappointing result at home to Bournemouth last week, um, but the goal from Darren Fletcher, you know, was fantastic to see it straight from the training ground, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a it was a great strike. I know that Mark Hughes tried to take a bit of credit for this one, and um, you sort of saw him gesticulating. That's on not the side. like him, is it? No, exactly. And, and, and to be fair to him, he could volley a ball, couldn't he? he had, yeah, uh, he had pretty good technique, and it's nice to see Darren Fletcher get on the score sheet. We've we've um, talked quite a lot about the uh, the mistakes that he's made so far in his Stoke career and that's not necessarily something that you'd associate with somebody who's been a model professional and somebody who you can you can really rely on in in sort of his his whole career yeah. really and hopefully this will be uh, an upturn in form for him and Stokes I think they needed a, a win like this just like a, a gritty battling win and that will take them away from the relegation zone it will give them all more confidence and they've got a few players to come back in and and, and yeah fingers crossed for them they can they can build on this result I, I want to get your thoughts on Watford because everybody's been talking them up yeah. um, they're down to seventh now and obviously they've had some decent performances so far this season do you think that this game sort of showed that Marco Silva ran out of ideas a little bit yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, you know, the the games they have won, as we've said, they have, have got a little bit of luck. They've made some late changes in the game and, and managed to change it around. And potentially Marquise has won that tactical battle. Potentially Watford have just not had the luck going their way. Um, but they will definitely be looking to bounce back with a good result away at Everton next week. You know, Everton are effectively there for the taking. And Watford have probably looked better away from home this season as well. Yeah, that's a massive game, isn't it? Yeah. And, um I think that Marco Silva wouldn't have expected to be up in seventh at this stage, but if he can get three points away at Everton, then Watford will be in there, if not around the top four positions going into that international break, which is uh, which is really amazing for a team of their sort of size who didn't make that many signings over the summer and and sort of stuck with the squad that they had. And, and yeah, Silva's getting getting a lot out of them, but but massive performance from Stoke, massive result and. Uh, the only thing that could have made that better would have been a Sado Berahino goal. And yes. how will Charlie Adam miss that chance at the end? I've got absolutely no idea. Yes, indeed. Well, moving on to the last game of the weekend. We will uh, talk about this next week, but tomorrow night is Burnley versus Newcastle. And uh, I, I called the last Monday night football result, didn't I? And I'm interested to get your prediction on this. Uh, I'm going to go for a 2-0 home win. Okay, right. Any reason? Um, I think that... 
Newcastle's struggle um, against teams who've got an aerial threat, and in Chris Wood, Burnley have got this. I think that Sean Dyche will try and support him a little bit more at home because he has looked a, he has looked a little bit isolated away from home, despite their fantastic results. Yeah. Um, and and I think that Burnley need a home result because they've struggled there so far. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me to see them get one. I think that Newcastle have obviously had a decent start to the season, but their defence can be a little bit suspect at times. And it depends who partners Jamal LaSalle's tomorrow night. I know that Benitez has uh, sort of changed things up recently. And, and, and yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Burnley win this one. What about you? What, what's your sort of prediction? I'm going to go for my staple Monday night one-all draw. Um, I think Burnley obviously have a lot to offer and I think there's a little bit of inconsistency and I also think with Newcastle as well there's inconsistency so I think naturally you know it could be quite a cagey affair but I think you know again Chris Wood could be the difference maker and I think if Burnley win then then he's going to be man of the match for me but uh, let's move on to the quiz for the final part of the show. Indeed yeah join us after the break and it's Mitch's turn to get the questions right. Hello and welcome back to the final part of the Sweeper podcast and we are just about to run through the quiz. However, I will quickly tell you how you can get in touch with us and that is via Twitter at the Sweeper Pod, Instagram the Sweeper Podcast, the email address is thesweeperpodcast at gmail.com and of course listen to us on iTunes where you can subscribe and review and it would be much appreciated if there were some five star reviews. As ever, we would love that and we would be wholly indebted to you. However, we will now talk about the quiz. Indeed, yes. So um, we are 11-7. Yes, currently. you are indeed. Um, I'm, I'm slightly ahead in the quiz. And uh, we are continuing on the historical theme of football clubs from the Premier League and the Championship this week. Okay, so uh, Mitch, you're in the hot seat. The yeah. first clue for you is this team were founded... In the Criterion Cafe on the 17th of June 1902 and played their first competitive match against Harwich and Parkston. Okay, I am going to go with Brentford. Brentford is incorrect. Okay. This club, sorry, this is the second clue, so this one's yep. for four points. This club played their early matches at a home ground called The Nest. The Nest. I will go for Tottenham Hotspur. Ooh, incorrect, Tottenham Hotspur. The third clue, and I think you might get this one, to be honest with you. Pressure's on them. Yeah, absolutely. This club has never won the top flight, but finished third in 1993. Okay, um, I will go for Norwich. Yes, Mitch! Get in there! On the Ball City was my next one. Um, that's their uh, anthem, if you like. Yep. That's the one that their fans sing. And the final 
clue was going to be around a uh, certain someone who went on the pitch at half-time yeah. during one of their Premier That'd League matches then. to try and get the crowd up for it. So yeah, that gets you three points Fantastic. right back in it, 11-10. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, uh, to hearing your question next week. And by all means, get in touch with us and let us know of any quiz subjects that you would like us to cover in the future. Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure today. We've had a, a football fiesta um, some of it has been very poor and that's mainly our own team so we'll know not to do that again absolutely yeah let's not record the podcast on a Sunday <laughs> after our teams have played no but it's been a pleasure and thank you very much for joining us absolutely yeah many thanks and we will look forward to talking to you next week au revoir adios <laughs>